Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. Together, that song tells, "Let there be praise." Let them be praised in this place as we witness what God has done. Here we go, sing it together, Eddie. Let there be praise, let there be joy in our hearts. Sing to the Lord, give Him a glory. Let there be praise, let there be joy in our warm up now let's sing it let it be praise sing with me let there be praise let there be joy in our hearts sing to the lord give him the glory let there be praise let there be joy in our hearts forevermore let Because we can stand on his promises for sure. Let's sing together. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling comes them down in fear, We are standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God standing on the promises I cannot fail listening every moment to the Spirit's call resting in my Savior as my all in all standing on the promises of God standing 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 on the promises of God my Savior Standing, 
Peggy, would you be seated, please? Amen. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for what we have witnessed this morning. Lord, this, the uh, picture of a life that's been changed, reborn into your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, as we praise. And we thank you we have those promises, Lord, if when we put our trust in you, that, Lord, we too are changed. We are born into your kingdom. Lord, we're here today to worship you. There's a lot of things on our thoughts and on our minds right now, so much. But, Lord, help us right now to through our minds, our hearts, and our souls to focus upon you, give you all the worship and praise that is due your precious name. This song, Lord, calls you a wonderful, a merciful Savior. Lord, let's, let's sing this to you, Lord, from our heart to yours. Because, Lord, if we know you as our Savior, Lord, you have done that to us. We are so grateful, and we love you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Sing it to him this morning. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer, and friend who could have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men oh you rescue the souls of men he's the counselor Counselor, Comforter, Keeper, Spirit, we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost the way. Oh, we hopelessly lost. Sing it out. You are the one that we pray. 
healing and grace our hearts always hunger Good morning, Bryansburg. It's good to see you this morning. I hope you've had a great week. I hope you've had an opportunity to encourage someone, minister to someone, have a gospel conversation with someone. And as we come together this morning, we recognize we've come for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to worship our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so for those of you joining us through television or through Facebook Live, we want to welcome you, and we are so very glad to have you here in worship with us this morning. Uh, again, we know that there is a lot going on this week. I hope that you've re- read your bulletin, and I know of all those opportunities in ministry uh, that are coming up for you and for your family, and make sure that you uh, plug into all of those. Uh, it has been a difficult week uh, for many in our church family. Uh, we went over a variety of different needs during our Sunday school time, and I'm sure many of you did the same, and uh, one of those is uh, the uh, McKendry family had a house fire this week, and so we will be taking up a love offering at the end of the service as you leave, and uh, just a way of trying to help them as they're getting back on their feet after that, and so we want to remember them uh, at the end of the service, and, uh, as well as we pray for all this morning who are going through so many struggles, and so let's go to the Lord at this time. Lord Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we are so thankful that no matter what's going on in our lives, whether it's a time of mountaintop or whether it's a time where we're walking through the valley, that you're with us and that, Lord, you're holding us. And so for many of our families right now, Lord, we recognize that they've gotten a report from the doctor this week that they didn't want to hear. Lord, they've had a loved one to pass away. We've had fires and, 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 and losses of other kinds. Lord, we've tried to share with a friend and they've maybe rejected that attempt to share the gospel. Lord, that can be difficult. And so, Lord, this morning we come and we need to hear from you. Many of us need to hear a word of encouragement. Many of us need to hear a word that that is going to allow us to know how to take that next step. And so, Lord, speak as only you can this morning. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that as your word goes out, that it would not return void. And you've promised us in your word that it will not. And Lord, if there's one person within the sound of my voice here in this place or on television or on the internet, on the radio, Lord, that they'd hear and they'd respond to the gospel message by faith. And they too would understand what it means to have a relationship with you. Lord, we love you. This time is yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for the price you pay. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin and shame 
in love you came and gave amazing grace thank you for this love lord thank you for the nail pierced hands wash me in your cleansing flow now all i know your forgiveness and embrace worthy is the lamb seated on the throne crown you now with many crowns you reign victorious high and lifted up Jesus Son of God the treasure of heaven crucified worthy is the Lamb thank you for the cross Lord thank you for the price you sin and shame in love you came and gave amazing grace thank you for this love Lord thank you for the nail-pierced hands wash me in your cleansing flow now all I know your forgiveness and band is going to come and share with us. So, you guys ever had those moments where life happens and uh, Diane in this case, bad thing happened. Sometimes a good thing happens, but no matter what happens in life, Jesus is always there. He always shows up, you know. So, that's what this song was about. The song's entitled, There Was Jesus. Every time I try to make it on my own Every time I try to stand I start to fall And all those lonely roads that I have traveled on 
there was Jesus. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus. In the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. For this man who needs amazing kind of grace For forgiveness and a price I couldn't pay I'm not perfect so I thank God every day That there was Jesus There was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching in the healing and the hurting like a blessing broken in the broken pieces every minute every moment where i've been or where i'm going even when i didn't know it or couldn't see it there was jesus on the mountains in the valleys In the shadows of the alleys, there was Jesus. In the fire and the flood, there was Jesus. Always is and always was. I'll never walk alone. Cause you're always there. In the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in the broken pieces. Every minute, every moment, where I've been or where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. There was Jesus. There was Jesus. Amen. Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. Amen. Amen. Well, after that baptism and that time of worship through song, I guess I could just give the invitation. But being who I am, I'm not going to. 
So turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. Wow, haven't our hearts been prepared for God's Word? And in particular, for this particular passage of Scripture here in Revelation chapter 4. We're looking at verses 2 through 11. And literally this morning, we will find ourselves in the presence of the Lord before His throne. And what a marvelous time it will be when we find ourselves in that place, just as John does here in chapter 4. And as you're turning there to Revelation 4, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we do thank you that no matter what we are going through, that you are there. And Lord, we thank you that no matter what we're going through, not only are you there, but you are here. And Lord, you're, 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 you're carrying us, Lord, you're ministering to us, you're strengthening us, you're comforting us, whatever it is that we need, whatever season of life we find ourselves in, you're there. Lord, some of us are rejoicing this morning. There's things going on in our lives that are just amazing blessings, answers to prayer, and we thank you. And in all of those instances, you're there. And Lord, we see here in Revelation chapter 4 that you show us the wonder of your glory and what it will be like to be in your presence there in the throne room. And Lord, we're excited about that day. And so Lord, speak to our hearts, and I especially pray for my friends this morning who are here, who are listening on television and and online, Lord. I pray that you would just speak to their hearts, Lord, if they don't yet know you as Savior. Lord, if they don't yet have that personal love relationship with you, Lord, that they would prepare their heart today by admitting their sin and turning their heart and life over to you. Lord, we thank you for your great love. And I know that I am a very weak vessel, and I pray that you might hide me behind the cross, that only you'd be seen and only you'd be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, the last time that we saw... John the Revelator, he was being airlifted out of this earth, out of this world, through a door that had been opened in the heavens. And he was told that he was about to receive a revelation of things which must be hereafter. And as we studied there in Revelation 4.1, we came to understand that John was a representative man. He represented all true believers in Jesus Christ who will be taken out of this world at the end of the church age in that event that we refer to as the rapture, as our blessed hope. And we are rejoicing today for that blessed hope, which is an assurance for all of us who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then as we move deeper into this chapter, we are given a glimpse inside the very throne room of God himself. We're allowed to view some of the activities that are taking place in heaven before God's judgment is to visit upon the world. And this scene that is described in these verses is really almost beyond comprehension. It's almost more than the human senses uh, and the human intellect can all take in. But in these verses, John tries to give us a small glimpse of what will be going on, what we will be doing there one day very soon. And so let's join John in God's presence as we try to grasp what is taking place in these verses. You see, we need a heavenly perspective in this world today. Amen. Taken by itself, the events, the trials, the problems that we are presently experiencing, they don't make any sense. 
That's probably the thing that I've heard asked more in 2020 than any other question is, Brother Brad, how, how does all this go together? How does all of this make sense? From an earthly perspective, this would appear to be out of control. All that we're seeing, political unrest, the COVID-19, and, and the, uh, many other diseases that folks just within our church family have had to deal with in 2020. Wars, crime, wickedness, ungodliness, the, the outright destruction of the biblical model of the family. But when you understand that God is still on the throne... And when you understand that he is still in control, his hands are still firmly upon the wheel. When you, when you think about that, that he's all working it out for, for a perfect plan, that there's an eternal good plan that is for our good and for his glory, then it all falls into place. When you begin to see that God has orchestrated this to, to come to a conclusion that is his, his conclusion, it all begins to make sense. Have you ever been in a store? And had the opportunity to see an expensive Persian rug that's been hanging up uh, for people to display and to, and, to, and to look at. And have you ever had the opportunity to go on the backside and, and to look at the backside of that Persian rug? If you look at the backside of an, ex, of an expensive Persian rug, it looks like chaos. It just looks like random strings that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it's because you're looking at the wrong side of it. When you go to the right side, when you look at the side that the artist who put together that Persian rug, when you, when you look at the side that they were looking at, when they, when they planned every part of that, you begin to see a beautiful piece of artwork, something that is just amazing, something that will make any home that it is placed in even more beautiful. This morning, let's move up to heaven and, and let's, let's get a glimpse of what, it, what, what this is supposed to look at like from the right side and what's going to take place there before God's throne. And so if you will, please stand with me in, in honor of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 through 11. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper or a sardine stone. And there was a window round about, a, a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings, and thunders, and thunderings, and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, and around about the throne, were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast was like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created." 
You may be seated. What an awesome, awesome, awesome sight this was for John. And we first see there in verses 2 through 3, the person on the throne. The very first thing that John sees is God himself sitting on the throne in heaven. What a thrill that must have been, uh, you know, to, to go to the White House and to be able to see a, a sitting president of the United States would be quite an honor. Uh, right now, to be able to go to, to uh, Buckingham Palace and to see the Queen of England would be quite an honor. But here, to go and to walk into the very throne room of God and see him sitting on his throne would be glorious beyond description. And yet that is the honor that John was given. And it is the honor that each and every one of us will enjoy one day very soon. Listen as John describes his encounter with the sovereign God here. First, he is the ruling one. We see there in verse 2. He is the ruling one. The first thing that John sees is a throne set in heaven. A throne speaks of sovereignty and authority. And we're viewing one who occupies the place of of absolute authority over over all the affairs of heaven and earth. The word set speaks of stability and firmness, of, of durability. God's throne is an eternal throne. No foe will ever be able to force him down from that place where he rules and where he reigns. This would... This world may not recognize presently God's authority or his rule, but he reigns nonetheless. Men do not give a second thought to the existence of God today, but he notices all, he controls all, and he will ultimately judge all. Men may not give him the time of day now, but we will all face him someday. Man may not bow now, but they will on that day. But also we see in verse 3 that he is the magnificent one. John attempts to do the impossible here. He attempts to describe God in all of his glory and all of his majesty. The one on this throne is God the Father. And how do we know that? Because God the Son takes the seven-sealed book out of his hand in Revelation 5. So John describes God as being like a jasper and a sardis stone. Now, the word like here is very important because it lets us know that we're encountering symbolic language. God is not a mineral. God is not a stone, but his appearance reminded John of one of those stones. And so we see here that the jasper is a clear and bright stone. It is possible that he was actually speaking here of a diamond. And so a diamond is an extremely hard stone. It speaks of firmness, and the comparison reminds us that our God is firm, that our God is an unchanging God. And since we are in the context of a throne room where sovereignty and authority is about to be exercised, this tells us that God's law, like himself, like God himself, are firm and unchanging. There are certain laws in nature that are firm and are unchanging. Tail gravity, for instance, what goes up must come down. That is a law. It's fixed. God has established that law of gravity, and it is unchanging. If you place a pot of water on a stove eye and, and turn that heat on, you need not expect to find any ice inside of that pot when you come back a few minutes later. Why? Because God has established the law of thermodynamics, and that is an unchanging, that is a firm law. 
And so the same is true concerning God's moral law. He is unchanging and inflexible there too. Men kick against the moral law of God. Boy, aren't we seeing that in our present day and age. The way that people are kicking against the moral law of God. They call the Bible out of date. They call those of us who believe God's word and teach God's word and preach God's word old-fashioned and out of touch. They do their own thing, thinking that God will let it slide, that, oh, God, you know, he's like an old grandfather. He's just going to sweep all that under the rug. He's not going to worry about it. But the fact is, they are sinning against God, who is firm and unchanging in his moral law. The Sardin stone is a blood red stone. And it reminds us that while God is a God of sovereign rule and of absolute authority, who holds men to a high standard of holiness, he is also the God of redemption. He is a God who saves all those who will turn to him by faith. And so thank God that he is a saving Lord as well as a sovereign Lord. Because if he wasn't, if he was, if he was only sovereign, if he, if he only brought down judgment, then none of us would have a chance But it was this holy, righteous God of judgment and wrath who was moved by mercy, love, and grace to provide a way of salvation for all those who will come to him. And who is that way? His name is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But also we see in verse 3 that he is the restraining one. God's throne is encompassed by an emerald rainbow and the rainbow is not like those that we see here on this earth. We only get to see half of the rainbow. Why? Because it hits the horizon and we no longer see the rest of the rainbow. But there in heaven, it will all be visible. We also know that the rainbow signals the fact that the storm has ended. We know that the the first rainbow was given to Noah as a visible sign that God would never again destroy the earth by a flood of water. This rainbow in heaven is a reminder that when we arrive there, the storms will be over for the children of God. It's a a reminder that while we may not understand everything that's happening here, we will when we get there. It is also a reminder that God will judge the earth, but that he will do it in line with all of his promises. You see, the rainbow speaks of God's mercy. Even as the wrath of God is about to fall on the doomed world, God is still moved, moving in restrained mercy. You see, every person in this room is headed to an encounter with God. Even if you don't want to think about it, you are. You're headed to an encounter with the God of all creation, the God of heaven and earth. And you might have parked in, 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 in your car and gotten out thinking you were going to Walmart at some point this week. But in all actuality, you were headed toward God. You might have parked in the parking lot this morning and just simply got out of your car and, and, and walked in, and not thinking a thing about it, thinking you were just you know, walking into any other service. But actually, you're walking in to an encounter with God. And one day, you will face Him face to face. We will meet Him in, in scenes of glory or in halls of judgment. But we will meet Him just the same. And so the question this morning is, are you ready for that moment? 
Is your heart prepared for that moment? Has it dawned on you yet that you are going to see him one day? Has it become clear to you that you will stand in his throne room seeing him? One day, the long road of life will end and we will all be home. Our journey will be complete, our burdens lifted and our tears dried away. Our questions will be answered and our burdened hearts healed forever. We will be home. Praise God, there is a better day coming for those of us who have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, I want you to look there at verse 4. We see the people, the people around the throne. The, The people around the throne, first, their association. Notice their association. Who are these individuals? Now, some people think that they are angels or cherubim, but the word elders is never used to refer to angels anywhere in the Bible. Others think that they represent some other group, but personally, I think it's very clear that they represent all the redeemed children of God. And here's why. They are sitting on seats. This is the same word translated throne in verse 2. Thus they are seen to be reigning with God. The saints will reign with him one day. But they seem to be a representative people as well. In Revelation 21, verses 12 through 14, the new Jerusalem is described as having 20 gates, uh, 12 gates named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And it is built on 12 foundation, foundations which contain the 12 apostles' names. 12 plus 12 equals 24. And so I believe that those 24 elders represent the redeemed people, both of the Old and of the New Testament. And so in the Old Testament, David appointed 24 Levites to represent the entirety of the priesthood. When a meeting was necessary, it would have been impossible to gather every one of those thousands of Levites together. But when the 24 came together, they represented the whole body. And the same is true of these elders. They represent the entirety of the redeemed saints of God. These elders, they represent us. They represent you. They represent me. We are there at the throne. But also notice their activity. They are sitting. It signifies rest. Their labors are over and they're sitting at rest in the presence of God in heaven. We're seated in Jesus Christ in heaven today as well. Did you know that? When we look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6, he tells us that we're seated there. This is our positional situation. Now, now, practically, we're still here in this world. We're still living. We're still laboring. We're still longing for heaven. But one day, we will be where God has already positioned us to be. I just want to remind you that one day, this life and all of its burdens and all of its cares and all of its worries and all of its problems will be behind us forever. We will go home to our new home where those things can never hinder us or bother us again. We will enter our rest in our heavenly home. But also notice their attire here. They're clothed in white raiment. White garments in the Bible speaks of of the righteousness of the saints. And so when God saved us, he forgave us our sins. And he cleansed every stain of sin away from us forever. He declared us to be forgiven and to be justified in his eyes. That is our positional standing before him. Practically, however, we are anything but righteous at times. 
We strive for that, but we have a hard time achieving perfect holiness in our lives. But one day, this wicked flesh that we dwell in now will drop away from us forever. And we will be remade in his image. And we will be perfectly holy and righteous just as he is already. Thank God there is a day coming when we will leave sin and the appetite for sin behind us forever. But also notice their adornments. They have on their heads crowns of gold. There are two words uh, for crowns in the New Testament. The first word is diadem. And a diadem, that word is used to refer to the many crowns that Jesus will wear when he returns in power and in glory to reign on this earth. These are kingly crowns. They are crowns of glory. But the other word is stephanos, and it refers to a victor's crown. It speaks of of the crowns that were given to those who were victorious in athletic endeavors uh, there in Rome. And so the diadem is worn by Jesus uh, by, by divine right. But the Stephanos is earned by us, the saints. We are told of at least five crowns that can be worn by the people of God, the saints of God. The first is the crown of life. This is the crown given to those who demonstrate their love for Jesus by successfully enduring trials and temptations. The second crown is the crown of righteousness. This crown is given to those who live in the light of the Lord's coming, the saints who long for and live for and love the coming of Jesus, they can expect to receive this crown. The third crown is the the crown of glory. That's the crown of reward for the faithful pastor. The fourth crown is the crown of rejoicing. The crown is a reward for those who faithfully share the gospel message and point others to Jesus. It's soul winners. It's those who, who regularly practice the discipline of personal evangelism. The fifth crown is the imperishable crown. It's awarded to those who battle the flesh and seek to live holy lives in honor of the Lord. Now, you need not worry that your service to the Lord is going unnoticed because he sees all. He sees everything that you do for his glory. He sees everything that, that, that you're going through. He knows about every sacrifice He sees every effort. He takes note of every prayer, of every time that you've witnessed, of every secret thing that you do to bring him glory and honor to his name. And he will reward that faithful service one day. You may not receive recognition here, but you can be sure to there. In fact, if you receive the recognition here, then you've already received all the recognition. And so it's those secret things. It's those things that only the Lord knows about that he will reward there one day very soon. But also notice, thirdly, in verses 5 through 11, the praise before the throne. Notice this scene in heaven. The scene in heaven is seen in verses 5 and 6. John watches amazing things take place around the throne of God. First, he speaks of wonders in verse 5. Lightnings, thunderings, and voices. These things speak of approaching judgment. Heaven booms with the warning signals that judgment is on the way. These same things are seen in Exodus chapter 19, verses 16 through 19. The heavenly noises then were a warning for the people of Israel to keep their distance from God's holy mountain. 
The sounds were a warning that men had better reverence God or they would face him in judgment. But then he, in verse 5, he speaks of a witness, seven lamps of fire. This is the Spirit of God, of God in all his fullness. The Spirit is no longer a comforter here, though. He is now an instrument of God's judgment. He is there to witness to the righteousness of the judgment that is about to fall on the earth. But also we move into verse 6 and we see he speaks of waters, a sea of glass like unto crystal. This crystal sea speaks of God's judgment as being formed and fixed. On this earth, there is probably nothing that is more constantly changing, something that's more constantly in, in motion than our oceans and our seas. The sea is never still, uh, and our seas are never the same. This sea, though, this sea is solid and unmoving. Judgment is fixed, and it cannot be altered. And if you will remember, there was a sea of brass called the laver outside the tent of the tabernacle. And before the priest entered the tent, they were required to wash in that laver that was symbolizing the cleansing and forgiveness of sin. How many times have I stopped at the labor that is spoken of there, though, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and washed my sins and my stains away? I thank God that there is a place of forgiveness and a place of restoration for us today, that he is still in the business of forgiving lost sinners, that he's still in the business of allowing us to come before him, even though so many times we, we are anything uh, but, but righteous. He forgives us, and it continues to allow us to minister and be a part of the work that he is doing. But in heaven, that sea of brass has become a sea of glass. There will be no more need for the saints to come to God for cleansing. We will never fail him again. Won't that be wonderful? To never fail our Lord again. What a blessing that that will be. But for the lost sinner, this sea represents and is a reminder to them that it has become too late for repentance. You ever heard and a preacher or an evangelist tell you, you know, there's going to come a day when it's going to be too late. This is that day. This is that day. Judgment here is set and fixed. Man has reached his limit. And God is about to pour out his wrath on a lost and a sinful world. What a horror awaits the earth dwellers of that time. But also in verses 6 through 11, we see the shouts in heaven. This throne room is a place of judgment, but it is also a place of praise. There are two groups involved in the praise of God on this occasion. The first, we see the shout of the beasts, and we see their description there in verses 6 through 8. The word beast comes from the word zoon. We get our word zoo or zoology uh, from it. The word just has the idea of, of living ones. John sees these four living ones, and he attempts to describe them for us. And he says that they are full of eyes before and behind. That speaks of complete intelligence. And then he begins to say what they are like. One was like a lion. that represents the wild animal life. One was like a calf. That represents domesticated animal life. 
One was like a man representing intelligent life. And one was like an eagle. This represents bird life. And so these four beasts represent the entirety of God's creation gathered before him. We're told that they are full of eyes, perfect intelligence. They have six wings, speaking of swiftness. They rest not, speaking of ceaseless activity. These representatives of all creation stand in the presence of God and they lift their voices in praise to the Creator. He is the Creator and everything that was made exists for Him and for His glory. And so they worship Him. But notice their declaration of worship. Their declaration is seen there in in verse 8. They declare His holiness. They declare His eternal nature. They declare His sovereignty and His control over all things. All of nature is involved in the praise of the Lord. But not only are the beasts praising Him, but also we notice there the shout of the believers in verses 9 through 11. It isn't just these four living creatures that are raising their voices in praise to the Lord. But when the four beasts begin to praise the Lord, the 24 elders immediately join in. Notice their praise is volitional. What does that mean? Nobody is forcing them to worship Him. No one is making them do this. When they hear the Lord exalted, they can't help but desire to join right on in. They fall down before Him and they worship the Redeemer. I guess I have the habit of, of when there's special music going on up here. I hope nobody hears me. But I'm singing with them pretty much as loud as I can. And it's because I can't help it. There's worship going on, and I want to be a part of it. And I think that's what's going to happen when we're there before the throne. There's worship going on, and I don't want to miss out. And so we will just immediately begin to be part of it. But also notice that their praise is, is visible. Verse 10, they don't just praise the Lord in their hearts, but we're told that they fall down before him and they offer up visible, open, unabashed praise to the Lord. In other words, they're not going to be like Baptists. They're not going to be like this. They aren't going to care who sees them. They're not going to care about looking cool. They're not going to care about what anybody thinks. They are praising the Lord. Praising Him with everything that they have. But also their praise is valuable. Look what else it says there in verse 10. They take those crowns. They take the the crowns that they have been given and they cast them before the feet of the Lord. They acknowledge that they are not self-made men and women. They acknowledge that everything they have, everything they've accomplished, everything that they've experienced in life is a direct result of the power and the grace and the love of God. And so they owe it all to him, and they offer him everything they have, which is those crowns. They are not concerned about their own glory. They're just simply lost in his glory. But also we see their praise is vocal. Look at verse 11. On top of everything else, they open their mouths and they loudly proclaim their love and adoration for the Lord. What do they say? They declare his worthiness. They declare his power. They declare his right to rule and reign. They declare their agreement with all uh, of what he is about to do to this world. They declare the fact that he made the world and all that is in it 
It is his, and he can do with it as he pleases. Heaven will literally pulsate with the praises of God. Anytime man enters the presence of God, man always falls down in worship. Every single time when man enters the presence of God, man falls down. We see that 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 happens here in heaven, but we see that it also happens here on earth. Do you want to know what we will be doing in heaven? We will not be floating around on clouds and strumming on our harps, okay? That's not what we're going to be doing. And we're also not going to be fishing or hunting or sleeping or riding our four-wheelers like some foolishness that people say today. That's not what we're going to be doing. We're going to have better things to do than that. If you want to know what we're going to be doing, you don't have to go any further than this passage. We're going to be doing what all of us were ultimately created to do in the first place. We are going to be lifting up everything that we have in worship to him. And when we leave here, we will be called up, we will be cleaned up, we will be called up in his praise and in his worship, and we will be about nothing other than his worship. When we arrive there in heaven, we will see what we were, where we were headed, and and what he has done for us in saving our souls. And we we will comprehend finally. We will finally be able to comprehend all that he has done for us, and we will not be able to restrain our praise. Imagine if you, if you could take all the focus off of the issues of this life. And that's hard for us today because we, we live in, in a physical world with a lot of junk that goes on around us. But imagine if you could. Imagine if you could completely take all of your focus off of your own issues and our own problems, and our full attention could be placed on him we too might be able to worship with the kind of fervor that we see here before his throne. There's nothing wrong with praising the Lord. The only thing wrong with it is is that there's not nearly enough of it going on. But if you want to praise him, then do it. Do exactly what we see here in the presence of his throne in heaven taking place. You praise him in that same way. Let us learn to love and to praise the Lord with all of our hearts and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of our mind here on earth because it's what we're going to be doing for an eternity in heaven. So let's begin our practice here. I'm excited about what's going on in heaven. How about you? I'm excited to know what I'm going to be doing for an eternity. I look forward to seeing my Lord and my Savior and my God. I look forward to joining my voice with those of all the other redeemed of all the ages and praising the one who sought me, who bought me, who delivered me, and who saved me from my sins. And I want to live my life here as an expression of praise to the Lord who loves me. And I want to be found glorifying him by the life I live and by how I praise him. He is worthy of our love and our devotion and our adoration and of our praise. And he deserves it as much today as he will when we get there to glory. So let's give him everything he deserves. And let's not wait for heaven to do it. Let's do it today. And this morning, this morning if you are not saved, If you do not yet have that personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to remind you that judgment day is coming, and it is coming swiftly. And there is a day, as we saw there, that 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 crystal sea that is fixed, that judgment will be fixed, and it will be too late to repent of sins and turn to him. 
But today is not that day. Today is not the day when it is too late. Today is the day of salvation. And if you will come to him, and if you will repent of your sins, and if you will turn to him, he promises that he will save you. And so if the Lord is speaking to your heart today, if you feel yourself being drawn by the Holy Spirit to him, do not delay. Give your heart, give your life over to him and begin to prepare yourself for an eternity of worshiping and praising him in heaven. How has the Lord spoken to you this morning? If he's called you to make a decision, be obedient this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Because, Lord, it's what we're going to be doing for eternity. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to just see a small glimpse of the glory that is to be in your presence. And, Lord, we just pray that if we have friends here this morning, and they don't yet know you as Savior and as Lord, that even now as you begin to speak to their hearts, that they would be receptive and that they would be willing to admit, just as all of us have had to admit, that they are a sinner and that they can't clean themselves up and that all that we can bring is our broken life and lay it before your feet and that you will take us in that state and that you will fix us, that you will put us back together and you will make us useful to your honor and glory. And so, Lord, today, I pray for salvation in this place. Today, I pray for healing in this place. Lord, some folks may just need to come to this altar and just spend some time crying out to you because, Lord, they're going through a difficult day. Lord, some of us may need to join this church family, but whatever it is, Lord, help us to be obedient to you. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with the relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.